Hello from the newsroom of the Financial Times in London. I'm Katie Martin. Today we're looking at Afghanistan and a push by the US to drive a wedge between the Taliban and the local branch of ISIS, known as ISIS-K. Katrina Manson, the FT's US defence and foreign policy correspondent, travelled to Kabul last week with US Defence Secretary James Mattis. And here's her report. We travelled first by a C-17 military plane and then by Chinooks to get to Operation Resolute support. That's the NATO-led effort to train 350,000 Afghan security personnel with the idea that they can stabilise their own country. We flew over the high-rises, industrial zone and sprawling residential areas of Kabul, nestled in the well of the mountains to the well-guarded base. We landed in a football pitch turned helipad, emerging to the gravel and dust kicked up by the wind of the Chinooks. Murals depicting female police officers and women martial artists daub the walls of the heavily guarded compound. But this nationwide vision remains something of an aspiration. For now, it is a set of appealing pictures on bricks. The threats to the Afghan democratic dream are many. Nearly 2,000 civilians have been killed this year alone. The Taliban are still fighting. So too is Al-Qaeda. A more recent and extreme group, the Afghan wing of ISIS, known as ISIS-K, has taken isolated pockets outside cities. Governments far away fear ISIS-K will plan terror attacks in Western capitals, just as Al-Qaeda did before them. The U.S. mission is focused on counterterrorism, preventing ISIS-K, Al-Qaeda primarily, uh, but 20 other terrorist groups from establishing a safe haven here in Afghanistan uh, by which to threaten not only the United States, but also the other 40 contributing nations to the NATO mission. The NATO mission, the Resolute Support Non-Combat Train Advise and Assist mission, is focused on training the Afghan security forces. And keep in mind that includes the traditional Afghan National Army, Afghan National Police, but also the Afghan Special Security Forces, Afghan Commandos, the Afghan Air Force as well too. That encompasses that entire mission. That directly feeds into the security of Afghanistan, and obviously the Afghan security forces are fighting the Taliban, but then they're also fighting those terrorists too, those same terrorists that that threaten us. That was Lieutenant Colonel Martin O'Donnell, U.S. Afghan forces spokesman. The central Kabul government controls only 56% of districts in the country, down from 66% a year ago. Its security personnel are still tens of thousands short of the 350,000 target. Just two days before I visited, a double suicide attack in the city killed residents as they watched a wrestling match. ISIS claimed responsibility. Attacks throughout the rest of the country are common. The aims of the NATO-led coalition have changed since my last visit to the country, nearly 10 years ago. Then the aim was to subdue the Taliban. Now it is to co-opt them. In 2009, I visited Nad Ali, a British forward operating base in Helmand province, built around the crumbling ruins of a fort used by the British nearly 200 years ago in the first Anglo-Afghan war. A reminder that Afghanistan earned its reputation as the graveyard of empires long ago. As the West reeled from high casualty rates, success counted as being able to drive around the outside perimeter, clinging to the shadow of the closely protected walls under constant threat of incoming fire from the mountains that surrounded us. Nearly 10 years later, the war is still going. Russia, China, Pakistan and Iran all have interests in the country and have varying degrees of links to the Taliban. At 17 years, it is America's longest running war. Despite the odd, upbeat assessment, few expect it to end anytime soon. On this visit, I travelled with US Defence Secretary Jim Mattis to Kabul as he went to meet America's latest commander, newly installed General Austin Scott Miller. 
the former Special Operations Commander has two jobs, to lead the 41-country coalition that is now focused on training and to lead a separate US effort to defeat ISIS and other groups, not including the Taliban, as part of a counter-terrorism mission. Last year, the US dropped the world's largest bomb in eastern Afghanistan in a bid to collapse the cave networks where ISIS fighters shelter. In total, US troops in-country today number 14,000, including a few hundred special forces. Mr Mattis is under no illusion the US fight will continue. But he sees cause for hope too. The Trump administration's hope rests on tentative signs that the Taliban might be ready to end its war in exchange for a role in government. US officials have met Taliban leaders in secret this year, and the fragile Afghan government is considering what sort of deal it could strike. I asked Mr Mattis about the interplay between the Taliban and ISIS. Can you give us a sense of the magnitude and scope of the threat that you see from ISIS and how your strategy towards the Taliban feeds into that? Yeah, very interesting question. Uh, a year ago, we had assessed that there would be the level of combat between ISIS and the Taliban. I think that would have been crossed off by some people as wishful thinking. Our intelligence people warned us a year ago this is probably going to turn into a stiff fight between the Taliban and ISIS. And the reason for this is they are ideologically opposed in some fundamental ways. So what we see now is some pretty hard fighting going on between those groups in certain locations. Now, it's not everywhere, but remember, ISIS is isolated in certain provinces, not, it has nowhere near the breadth of reach of the Taliban. So we are still trying to remember the fourth R in our 4R strategy is reconciliation. We are still believers that there is a way forward for the Taliban to reconcile in an Afghan-led, Afghan-owned reconciliation process. But the fight is hard. This month, a US soldier was killed by an Afghan policeman one of many so-called insider attacks. During their meetings, I heard President Ashraf Ghani tell Mr Mattis that stopping these attacks, known as Green on Blue, was a top national priority. Last year, when Mr Mattis visited, the sound of mortar fire interrupted their meeting at the presidential palace as insurgents attacked the airport. This year, six US soldiers have died, bringing the total closer to 2,500 US deaths alongside more than 20,000 casualties. And although the US is hitting ISIS hard, the group manages to keep up recruitment, including from more extreme members of the Taliban. We haven't seen that ISIS-K has been able to grow, but certainly they've been able to replenish their numbers, and that's due to the porosity of the border. Also, the changing allegiances here in Afghanistan. Obviously, they draw a pool not only from here in Afghanistan and from the border region, but also elsewhere. Now, while we haven't seen a large influx of ISIS-K fighters from other Syria or Iraq, for example, there is a presence, and we know that. And what we've seen in their model, right, is they'll do anything they can to establish a safe haven in whatever country you know, there's discord, if you will, or insecurity, they will try to establish a safe haven so they can threaten not only our country, but also the 41 nations. You were also telling me, you know, they're having some success at recruiting from the Taliban as well. In some instances, we've seen the disenfranchisement. But like I said, they know the pool to which they're trying to, uh, you know, to recruit from and they're trying to target that. That's why we are focused on eliminating them. The mission as it pertains to them is focused on their elimination because potentially unlike the Taliban, they won't 
establish a, a unilateral ceasefire like we experienced with the Taliban in June. Martin O'Donnell again. Not everyone agrees that talking to the Taliban is a victory for the US. One regional official said America's enthusiasm for talks represented capitulation. A superpower just lost a war, the official told me. It's also not clear that the Taliban would agree to a deal. The group accepted a three-day ceasefire in June, in a sign some took to indicate room for a thaw, but it rejected a second ceasefire proposal. Maintaining US presence in what some see as likely war without end in Afghanistan is difficult domestically. President Donald Trump wanted US troops out on taking office, but Mr Mattis was among those who persuaded him to boost troop numbers and declare the mission was no longer time-bound. In the wake of 9-11, George W. Bush sent in troops to defeat Osama bin Laden, topple the Taliban and eviscerate the al-Qaeda fighters who drew on the Taliban for support. Under Obama, US troop numbers grew to 100,000 before a hasty drawdown that commanders on the ground argued was too fast for its own good. The US insists that the Taliban is relegated mostly to remote rural areas and can no longer take and hold major cities. That gives a fast urbanising Afghanistan a chance for growth and development. For many observers, the future will depend on who blinks first. If the Taliban is convinced there is no chance that the US troops will leave, they may be more persuaded to make a deal. The future may turn on whether America can wait it out. That was Katrina Manson reporting from Kabul, Afghanistan. And if you'd like to read her FT article, you can find a link in our show notes. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more news tomorrow. But in the meantime, if you're not already a subscriber and would like to discover more FT content, take a look at our latest subscription offers at ft.com offer. <laughs>